Hey everybody and welcome to AOB. In this episode we're going to talk about hiring. Hiring is so important. We're going to talk about the consequences of bad hires. More importantly, give you the process of how to hire really well and give you our killer interview questions. Welcome to Any Other Business, a show all about the day-to-day realities of growing a business. We're doing that by taking you back into the history of the business we've built and sharing some of the lessons we've learned along the way, so you can learn from them too. And then we're going to be doing that even more by actually taking you on the journey of growing our new business, which is so much bigger than anything we've done before, and letting you experience the highs and lows of that in real time. Yes, we know we've been teasing this for a while now, and we will reveal soon, but we don't want to lose our competitive edge. So that's why we haven't told you about our big, exciting project. But stick with us, we will. But you're going to learn loads and loads and loads up to the big reveal, particularly today, we think we've got a really valuable podcast for you. And it's all about hiring. Yeah, hiring is, well, if you're going to grow a business... It's unavoidable. You you have to hire. You can't have a sizable business with just one or two people doing absolutely everything in it. So it's inevitably going to happen. Whether you do it well or do it poorly is probably the single biggest determinant of whether your business is a success. And you can certainly cause yourself or save yourself from a lot of pain depending on how you approach hiring. So we're going to talk through the whole hiring process that we use, share everything that we've learned, mostly from bitter experience along the way, and put you in a position where when you're ready to hire, whether that's now, if it's not something you're planning for in the future, you are able to shortcut a lot of the mistakes we've made and get straight to those great hires that will really push your business on. So Rob, I think it's almost self-explanatory, but you only really grasp this when you've actually done it and been through it. But so why is hiring so important? If you've got a team full of average people, then it doesn't matter as founders how talented you are, you're going to have an average business. And conversely, if you have a really talented team and you're average founders, then you've probably got a decent chance of succeeding. That's how important it is. Having a great team will give you a great chance of success. If you've got a half-decent idea, a decent vision of what you want to do and a great team behind it, then the possibilities are endless. Like The potential of what you can do together is huge. Because even if your initial idea is wrong, or even an idea five years in needs pivoting, if you've got a great team behind you, then you can do amazing things. A great example of this would be Netflix. Netflix used to post out DVDs, and now they're a streaming service They are completely different businesses. It was an absolute pivot, but because they hire so well and are actually famous for hiring well, they were able to make that pivot with seemingly ease to become one of the world's most valuable businesses. Definitely. And the other side of that is if you get hiring wrong, then your business is going to be held back in so many ways. It's not just in terms of getting things done. So obviously, in that example, Netflix had to execute on what they were doing. So they needed lots of very talented engineers to work out how to actually build a streaming platform. And previously, they'd just been posting stuff. But also, like every interaction that you your customer has with your business, or almost every interaction, is not going to be with you. It's going to be with your team. So having that team representing your brand, your company in the way that you want it to be is so critical. And if you approach hiring in a slapdash kind of way and you just kind of pull people in and tell them to get on with it, that is going to destroy the experience of your customer, however good your product actually is. Absolutely. Richard Branson famously said that the most important part of his business is his team, not his, not his customers. His team was more important than his customers. And before I had a business, before I was involved in business, I never understood it. It's only once you start a business that you realize how true that is. Because you personally may think very highly of your customers, but if your team doesn't and doesn't operate that way, then you're not going to have any customers. So your team is so important. It possibly is the number one predictor for success is the quality of your team. If you go into any sort of scale-up business, and you're not impressed by the people you meet, then that business might not be around for much longer unless they sort their hiring out. So we've talked about if you don't get hiring right, let's drill into that a bit more. What are the consequences of bad hires? We've had a few. Yeah, (laughs) we have. I mean, the consequence of all consequences of a bad hire could include that they don't even turn up on day one or they leave after a few days or they turn out to be a bit bonkers. I mean, everyone at Property Hub is pretty bonkers, but I mean, like, 
bonkers, that's a bit scary. You may get people that suddenly don't turn up one day because they may have been arrested. Um, you may have people that say they can do a job, you put them in a valuable position and they end up not being able to do the job and never could. Um, you can have people who run parts of your business that actually run it into the ground because you've put them in the wrong position. And this is not all hypotheticals, <laughs> are they, Rob? These are these are things that may or may not have happened. These are things that we can imagine may have happened to businesses at some point. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. A lot of those those consequences are sounding familiar. And as we've as we've said, it doesn't have to be the dramatic stuff. The, you could, if you even if you just hire average to poor, the consequences can be bad. But you can have some more exciting consequences of making bad hires as well. So the hiring process is a really interesting one because you want to you're simultaneously trying to reach out to as many people as possible and pull in the people who have got these superpowers that you need but also kind of digging away at them you kind of trying to validate they can do the job but also dig away to see like is there something being hidden here it's and and while you're doing all this you're also trying to sell them on the opportunity and so it's this weird little dance that you're doing between yourselves so we'll come on to the hiring process let's talk a bit first about when to hire so I think a common mistake is hiring too early, maybe, but too late, definitely, and too sl- and too slowly, definitely, as and well. Too late, definitely. I would say too late. Yeah, absolutely. Too late. People wait and wait and wait before making a hire. I think if, if you should test it out early on. I remember early on in the business hiring three people, and... At the time, I made sure I'd saved up enough wages for, I think, about three or four months for for each of them to make it work. And I know that is a bit naughty, but it was a startup. So people know what they were coming into. You know, there is more risk with a startup, more so than a scale-up. So I had a few months of wages banked, ready, runway, if you like, for those hires. And fortunately, it paid off. And it went from strength to strength. But what would have happened if it waited for 12 months wages or more? Would we be that far on now? Maybe, maybe not. So I think it's actually having the bravery to take that hiring step early on is really important. Um, and I think you need it's the market's giving you some indicators that things are going well. You should be looking to make a hire sooner rather than later. The problem is most startups don't hire well from the beginning. Um, and luckily, business demand was in place, but the hires that I certainly made initially were were poor. And they're not necessarily the individuals, some, some were, some weren't, but it could be a poor fit. It could be that they're not suited to startup life, for example, when it was a startup. So it's making sure that you get it right, not just for your business, but for them, because they may not realise that you're the wrong type of business for them. And I think another reason that you can hire too slowly is not just the the nervousness and the uncertainty, but also something we've talked about before, which is like business owner superhero syndrome, where you just think that you you are the one who has to be able to do everything. Like this business has had some success. The business is me. Therefore, clearly I am wonderful. And so if I bring anyone else in, they won't do it as well as me. And it, and it's just not worth doing it. I'm just going to have to keep on burning myself out, doing every single job, because that's how the, the business will succeed. And I've definitely got traits of that. And I think everyone does to an extent. If I bring someone else in to do this job, they won't do it as well as I do. Whereas in reality, if they do it 80, 90% as well, that is absolutely fine because there's, it frees you up to do other things. And really apart from maybe one or two things that are the absolute essence of what you bring to the business, they should be doing it better than you. Every hire you should bring in, if you're bringing in someone who can't do a job twice as well as you are, that's probably not the right hire. Yeah, I'd say that's that's true. It's hard to do in the beginning because you know your business so well. So to have the expectation of them being much better than you early on and the type of people you can attract early on also can be a bit of a challenge. Not many people will take a chance on a startup. So it is difficult. There's there's people who will be excited by the prospect. But for example, if you need a finance person, 
you might not be able to get the finance director from HSBC to join you. Like it's probably not going to happen. So they clearly probably would be better than you, but you might have to accept somebody who's better than you, but maybe not best in class. Um, but they still should be better than you. And for, for me, Rob, I think there's certain types of people you should be hiring early on. But what would you say? What should people be doing? What should the first hires be for any business? And I know it's going to change scenarios to scenario, but how can you judge as you as a founder of what people you should be bringing in? It is so case specific, but I do think that you're going to want to start out by, as far as possible, bringing in generalists. So someone who you're, so rather than getting someone who is the absolute best in the world at doing one quite narrow thing, because it, because businesses are scrappy, if you could bring in someone who is pretty good at doing a lot of things and can chip in with, maybe you hired them to look after the numbers, but if they need to chip in with customer support or do various other things, they can. And also they will. So having someone who's happy to get involved with lots of things, I think is really important. Doesn't feel like they're above helping out with different things and can also deal with the lack of structure and the sort of the scrappiness of early stage businesses. I always get nervous when we're when we're looking at CVs of someone we're sort of looking to bring in and they've only worked at really big companies because there's nothing wrong with working for a big company, but it's just so different. And I just think, will there just be a complete culture shock? And they just will not know. They know how to get things done within that organization, but they don't know how to get things done if you just kind of throw them in with no process or limited process and hope that they can get on with it. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think another thing that you should be looking to give them is the things that you don't like doing or aren't naturally good at. So they should be generalists, but if you're not great with the admin, <laughs> maybe releasing this to myself but find someone who while is a generalist is good at that type of thing um obviously people who can help bring in revenue early on are useful if you're not a founder who is able to generate sales yourself then bring in someone who can help you um, produce revenue but even if you can bring in revenue yourself as a founder bring in if you're starting to find out that you're not going able to get back to every lead or that there are, is more opportunity out there then revenue producing team members early on are huge and there's going to be an, another podcast we can do on this subject about the type of team that you would have at the beginning and the type of people and like you've said generalists and then how you move as your business grows into more specialists and you still have some generalists of course but you tend to then bring in somebody who is just does finance and is really really good at finance and then you bring someone in who's brilliant at customer service and just does that rather than someone who answers the phones to a customer while doing your P&L. Like that's, as you scale up, that shouldn't be the case. And thankfully, we've, we figured that out pretty early on. So it's important that you go through that transition and recognize when you're going through different transitions that you need to mix your team up. And some people who start with you may be brilliant for a business that's small, and then some may not be right for when it grows. And then some people will be able to pivot themselves and grow themselves and move into that different type of company so it's not easy and that's why we're doing this podcast because it isn't easy but hopefully we can share some of our lessons that takes us really nicely actually into how to hire so we're going to go through the actual hiring process that we use and have developed over time to so anyone listening can copy it if they want to and maybe iterate on it improve on it the process always starts with um, coming up with a really great job advert so as you touched on before it's difficult in the early days when to, to attract the best people if you are a recognized name and you're a cool brand or a big company it's far easier but when you're starting out and no one knows who you are it's hard so you need to write an advert that will catch people's attention and get them give them a sense of what you're doing and have them sort of start to buy into you as a company. A part of that as well, I think is really important, is getting clear about what you actually want. You so often see job adverts and you'll read it and come away going, I don't really know what this job is. <laughs> like obviously there, there are some job titles. Like if, you're, if it's like a customer support rep or a salesperson, then fine, you kind of know what the role is. But often job titles are quite vague and you'll look down the bullet points of responsibilities. It's like, I did not have a sense of what this person will be doing day to day. And sometimes that's just poor communication. But often I think it's the company isn't actually that sure themselves. 
they know that they have a gap they know they need something but they'll just kind of use some sort of corporate sounding words to to just kind of get it done but they don't really know what they want and therefore the person reading isn't really in a position to know what they want and count themselves in or out for that so i think you need to do it for the advert anyway but even if you didn't as such an important prerequisite for me is getting absolutely clear on what you want and who you want not just going oh my business is a mess i need someone to sort it out but going like okay well what what does this role look like what will this person actually be doing every day yeah and that takes a little bit of time and you need the discipline to go ahead and do that because it's easy just to go ah i need someone like you said but it's so worthwhile because if you bring someone in without doing that then it's a lot harder for them to be successful because you haven't defined what success looks like you haven't defined their role. So then you're starting to give them a bit of work, that might be obvious, but then your expectations of what they should be doing might not be matched because you've not clearly defined that. So it's not just the hiring process that's really important for, which it absolutely is, but it's also for when people come into the business so they can hit the ground running because you've really thought through what you want them to be doing, what they'll be doing on sort of a day-to-day level and what, you know, bigger picture-wise, how they're going to contribute. So it's hugely, hugely important. And I think so many businesses get this wrong, but hiring's a two-way process. So if you don't look like you've got yourself organised and you don't clearly, you can't clearly describe what you want, then the more switched-on candidates are going to see that. And also, if you're, the tone of your advert is dull, then people are going to judge your business as dull. You've, you've said that you should put effort into making your advert sound interesting and attractive, and that's something we do. In fact, Rob, you still write a lot for the, a lot of the important roles, part of the copy for attracting people in. You know, you're a, a best-selling author, but we still think it's that good use of your time for you to... And there's other people who can write as well, but it's that good use of your time to do because it is so important because that is the first window into our business and we want people to go oh this is interesting yeah we see it as a a marketing job like writing that description obviously the person the department who's actually hiring for need to come up with like what the role is and get clarity around all that but then selling that is a marketing job and we do some things in our adverts which are a bit bombastic maybe and sort of a little sort of like really not not say overselling but certainly sort of pushing the excitement of it but that's because it's an opportunity because no one else does it like everything else is really dull so you can just stand out quite easily by doing that and um, this is kind of going broader than just the advert now but just as a quick point i think the whole hiring brand that you have is something that we've talked about a bit more because if you can start getting to that position where the position that a big company is in or a cool brand is in where everyone comes to them and the best people have got are kind of knocking on their door that is the best possible position to be in so we've started thinking more about well how can we use LinkedIn and use social media to share the culture of the company, give people a bit, a bit behind the scenes, and go, oh, that's a place I'd like to work. Because that, if, you, if someone is already feeling well disposed towards you or your dream person approaches you without you having to do anything, then that's a whole lot easier. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's so important and it's something that we know is important and we constantly try to improve. So we do share the culture behind the scenes. So on Instagram stories, when we're in the office, which isn't as much at the moment, um, we share like what it's like behind the scenes. Um, LinkedIn, we post messages there, but we're probably doing better than most, uh, but we still see ourselves as here and we want to take it up several more notches. So it's, it's so important. And then if you get it right, you will get people applying. Unfortunately, we do a good enough job to get lots of applications at times, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of applications. So it's impossible to properly read every CV when that happens. So we've got a cool little trick that works really well. And we ask people to submit their CV, but we also ask them to answer one or two questions, not nothing too intense. And it might be about the role. It might be just a general question. But we ask for that, for that to happen because... It helps you get rid of so many applications early on, like so many. You don't need to open the majority of CVs because you can look at the answers and make a judgment whether you open the CV from there or not. Because if someone writes, well, sometimes people will just put 
nothing. <laughs> they won't even put it there. If we make it mandatory that you need to fill out the field, they'll put like NA, not applicable. Um, sometimes it's one word answers. Sometimes it's one sentence. Um, quite often it's littered with spelling mistakes. Um, starting the sentence with lowercase. Um, I see that a lot. Lowercase eyes. Never knew that was a thing. You've always had a thing about lowercase eyes. There's loads and loads of people who do lowercase eyes in applications. Uh, so by going through that and just whittling out people who've put no effort in, poor effort in, you suddenly find that several hundred can drop down to less than 100 quite often just by that one addition into your hiring process. So that's a, that's a top tip for you there. Yeah, I think that's really important because the CV is like that. That's the document that's always part of a, a hiring process. I don't like CVs. I wish there was another way of doing hiring because it's just such a dry document. It doesn't give a sense of the person. You're kind of you're reading into it for clues about what this is saying. Them. It's it's like a bit of a detective work. But you're always, you're always making assumptions. And there are people who you look at their CV. It looks great. You get them in for an interview and it's a huge disappointment. That's okay. But what's worse is the people who you haven't put through and so you never speak to who would have been great. But for some reason, there's a, there's a clue in their CV that you've misinterpreted or it doesn't do a good job of selling them or whatever it is. So whatever context you can add to that process, I think is really valuable. You can't get them submitting loads of extra stuff that will take you load, loads of extra time to look at because you are going to have lots to get through. Even if you are a smaller company, if you do a good advert, you'll still have lots of applications. So what's great about those filtering questions is it actually takes you less time because like you said, you could probably knock out half quite simply of people who just haven't answered or have done a single word. And the ones who've made some effort stand out an absolute mile and they always go to the the, the absolute top of the pile for deciding to for going and looking through their CV. So even if you don't have time to look through everything, you're prioritizing the ones that have got the best chance of being the one. And then you look at the CV itself. At that point, the filtering for me continues and it sounds quite aggressive and quite picky, but I'm always looking for a reason to say no. I'm always like I'm looking for a reason to, to, to weed out. And that doesn't even have to be experience. And we can talk about like other clues, but just mistakes. The number of CVs that you see that have got really basic spelling and grammar mistakes on them is unbelievable. And I really don't care if that person's spelling and grammar is not great for most roles. For some roles it matters, for some it doesn't. But this is the one document that you're using to go out and try and get a job with. So if you haven't like run it through, run it past someone who does know that stuff and made a bit of effort with it, what does that say about you? It's again, it's getting back to the effort part that you talked about with the filtering questions. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind admitting that my English isn't the strongest. It's not how my brain works. My brain works differently. But when I used to write blogs for the website way back when, and I did actually write them, I would give them to other people to, to check them, including my mum. My mum's got an, you know, an English degree, so she'd check my blogs to make sure they all made sense because I had the awareness to know that this was an important document. And you're not going to do a document much more important than your CV if you're applying for jobs. I mean, there's not really much else you can do. So if you naturally are good at it, just take the time to have find someone who will check it for you. It, like you said, you don't necessarily need to be, you know, a writer. Okay, if we're after a writer, then yeah, you do. But for most roles, you don't need to be. But you need to know that it's a weakness and you need to have that awareness that you should be fixing it. So therefore, it's inexcusable. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, and the self-awareness point is important as well because that is such an important trait in business in general. So they're the kind of they're the obvious clues. They're like the the mistakes. But then there are lots of other things that aren't mistakes, but they're still like clues that tell you something about this person. What kind of things are you looking for? Well, you've got clues to say this isn't right, but then you've got the opposite. You've got high performance clues. So people who've done things that are different. So it may be their education is particularly impressive. That's a that's an easy one. I mean, these days, everyone's got a degree and it sounds a bit harsh, but it's true. Pretty much everyone goes to uni. So that alone isn't enough. But then if you've gone and got a master's, then okay, well, that's a bit interesting. So that's, you know, pretty impressive. Now, you don't have to have a master's to get every role, but it's just a clue. But even if you didn't go to uni, have you traveled around the world? Because that's a clue. That's somebody who's 
done something a bit brave. It's not easy to pack your bags and go travelling, particularly if you ended up doing that by yourself initially. That's that's really impressive. Or maybe it's somebody who runs marathons or triathlons or, or does some sort of extreme sport, somebody who has been on a really wild adventure. Maybe they've trekked in the the Alps, or maybe some, maybe they've been to Nepal, maybe they've been to Himalayas, something a bit even more exciting. Like, things that they've they've done that you go, wow, okay, this is, this is different. This is someone to pay attention to. And we've seen some of our highest performers, Rob, who did leave those clues on their CV and have actually turned out to, you know, go, okay, that was a clue that proved that they were a high-performance individual. Mm. I put a lot of stock in those because they show they show what you do off your own back. So you can look at someone's employment history. Um, obviously, if you're looking at them and they've spent long chunks of time at a company, they've progressed within that company. Their their job titles are getting more and more impressive over time. They go, okay, they're they're on a good trajectory. That's positive. But then you never quite know. Like you can get just because someone worked for Google or whatever that doesn't necessarily mean that they were amazing. Like they could have just been lifted up by the general success of the company. Like they were there while it happened. They didn't cause it to happen. But then if you're looking at these extra things, that shows what people have done off their own back by choice. And if it's a clue that they push themselves, challenge themselves, take a chance, all that sort of thing, then that is really positive. And again, it's just it's just building up a broader picture of that person. It's you know, cause you're not just hiring a, you're not hiring a CV you're, and you're not just hiring a business robot, you're hiring a person. And so that gives you a clue about the kind of person they are. You're just interested in business, and but you're somebody who wants to, to work and you apply for roles. Then if you have done something interesting, put it down. Like, don't be embarrassed. It's not about all work. That's not what most business owners are looking for. In fact, everyone pretty much has got a work history. That's the norm. Show stuff outside the norm. So you do the aggressive filtering and then you should end up with a list that's not too big because you can't do 20, 30, 40 interviews. So you need to do that aggressive filtering. And then you go into the interview process. And for us, we like to do more than one stage. Yeah, having and once the business gets bigger, if you have different people involved in each stages, then that's really good as well because everyone looks for different things, picks up on different things. So that's beneficial and that's what we do now. But even if it's just you, having multiple different points is important. And we kind of we structure those interviews to look for different things. So the first interview tends to be a bit more general, a bit more kind of getting to know you and remembering as well that it is a two-way process you referenced that before but it's very much about them assessing you or it should be if they're a high performer they should be assessing you as well as you assessing them they shouldn't just be willing to jump at any opportunity that comes along and my favorite part of any interview is always the questions that the candidate asks because it's easy to have prepared answers for things about your history or whatever but the questions that someone asks, if they're insightful or interesting, it shows that they've done their research. I learn so much more from those questions than anything else. Definitely. And, and how well prepared they are. So if you say, have I got a question? You, you get the extremes. You get people who you can see, you've just caught them out. And they're like, um, um, yeah, so what? where do you want to be in five years' time? Like, just or make, You can tell they're just making it up. And then you get other people who will open a notepad and have a list of questions. And actually, I prefer that because I know that person has given thought to this process and wants, even though it might take me a while to answer them all, I know that they've put effort in. And it's and then if, if it's a lot of questions, you hope that, yeah, okay, they're doing some fact-finding, but you hope there's some quality questions in there as well because the quality of people's questions says a lot about a person. Yeah, they really do. And we have had the extreme. Like we had a few I can think of. Where they go, well, I've looked you up on Company's House, and I'd, I'd look at the financials. Like, cool. All right, that's um, that's that's really telling you something. So I love all that. So the first stage, you can tell a lot about someone from the questions they ask, but also how they answer your questions. Then we've started introducing a second interview now, which is a lot more structured. 
uses um, the methodology is called top grading. And I think there was a book or something that was actually called top grading. But now the book that the, the latest version is in is called Who. Um, I can't remember who it's by, but I'm sure we can dig it out and put it in the description. But that that book kind of goes through the process and you've done hundreds of these by now. So maybe you're in a better position to remember off the top of your head what the questions are, because it seems really formulaic and dry and like how could this tell you anything but actually it's super powerful yeah i feel like i'm, I'm in an interview myself now remembering what's in it but you start off by asking somebody you go through their cv in order and you'll start off by asking what role were they hired in to do because often in a cv you have the role that they left doing but somebody may start in a, a lower role and actually, you want to know that because if somebody started in a role and then they progressed within that business, then that says something about that individual. So you ask about what they were hired in to do. Then you'll you'll ask for a particular highlight of their time there. And you, you, you may need to, it depends on the answer you may need to push because it may be quite generic and it may be about the business. So you want to make it personal to them. And it doesn't always have to be a performance highlight. It can be something that happened within the business, an event that they particularly enjoyed. And that's useful as well because you get an understanding into what makes that person tick. You don't always need brags throughout the, the interview. Of course, you're trying to sell yourself. But if you can be authentic and talk about you know different highlights and you get that from them, it's, it's useful. Then what's really interesting is the next question, which is a low point. And again, some people will try and back that away and go, oh, there were no low points. What, so every day was a perfect day? No, of course it wasn't. So really push. Don't accept you know, surface level answers. Really dig deep and push them to give you an answer of a low point during their time there. And then once you've asked for the low points, uh, you can ask them what their particular manager or business leader would say about them. And I always make sure I say that it's not what you want them to say about you or what you'd what you think of you it's think about how you portrayed yourself to them and what impression you gave them because if it's a more recent role and we'll tell them this as well we will ask them we'll ask them this very question so we want to see if it matches up so you ask for that and then you ask for the reason they've left and this is something I've really added even more importance to now because people always leave for a reason it's not because your job advert was well-written. As, br- as brilliantly as you write them, Rob, if they're even looking at it, there's a reason. So it might not be a game-changer reason, but there's a reason. And don't just accept, again, a surface-level answer. Really dig deep. Every role they've left, why? What are they getting away from? What wasn't there that made them leave? Because if this is a high performance, then you want to make sure you, you create an environment that does not allow that to happen again. But also, you know what environment they're going into. And if it's not going to match their needs and, and wants, then you can identify that early on as well. As you said, we keep saying it is a two-way process. And it's not just about finding a brilliant candidate. It's finding a brilliant candidate that fits brilliantly. You can have, and I've been seeing this multiple times, a super high-performing individual, but you just think they're not going to enjoy working here because of some of the things they've said. So by asking that question, really getting to the truth of why they've left the business helps you understand so you can help them decide whether it's right for them. And if they can't decide and see for themselves, you decide for them in an interview process. So that's really important. And you ask that of every role. Now, you know, you might, if they worked in McDonald's as a teenager, you might not dig as deep there. But certainly the more recent roles, you want to ask all of those questions to understand what has happened in each and every role. And then you you learn so much. It sounds basic, but those questions tell you so much. They really do. And you've, I've seen those go both ways. Like if if one of those interviews goes well, you start to build up a really good picture of this person and their history and their motivations. And it should it should be a coherent story that makes sense. And obviously you, it kind of generates other questions to ask later, but you try and stick to the, to the format. But then I've also seen things really unravel in those interviews. It's quite hard. It's quite, it's quite an intense process. And for senior roles, it can go on for a couple of hours. So those, they can go really well, but they could also, have, you could have someone who has, is, 
really good at selling themselves in a more kind of general sense and answering the interviewee type of questions. But the nature of that, those questions, if you do them well, you can't just blag your way through them. You as interviewer, your role should be to prevent them from blagging their way through them. And so you can have things that just, people who just kind of fall apart under that process. So I don't know, it just seems almost too basic in a way. But if you do just stick to the script, it's super powerful. It is. So they're the core questions we ask. Are there any other questions that you particularly like to use that you found quite insightful in an interview process? One thing I've noticed you do actually as part of that in, part of that interview, which I don't think comes from the book that we swipe this all from, is you always go back and ask about their school days and sort of say like, "What was school like for you?" I think that's really interesting because obviously, if you're hiring someone in their forties, they're not the same person as they were at school, but it still gives you some kind of insight into what they what they're naturally like before they've kind of been shaped by the world I suppose so I find that one really interesting I like doing like a someone which sounds really fluffy but I always like to ask what people are reading or watching or favorite books and things like that not because I'm looking for tips or I am I'm, I'm not expecting an answer like oh yeah I'm reading principles of corporate finance or something like that but it gives you it gives you a bit more of an insight into what they're like as a person again um if someone doesn't really have an answer and it's not doesn't have to be reading not everyone's a reader but if they can't think of anything that they're reading or watching or listening to that's always a bit of a warning either they're actually secretly a robot and they're just in disguise very well or they or they're not being open and it's always really great when someone's got something that they're very enthusiastic about that they can start that they can start talking about and they can get almost carried away talking about something that they're that that's exciting to them even if it doesn't mean anything in particular to me what what about you have you got any killer questions i don't do many first stage interview questions now as um interview process now I don't do that now but when I used to be in the first stage of an interview process a question that I I found quite effective was what preparation have you done for today wow that question will remove so many people because that's when you get people go um well I've been on your website and then kind of try and blag it from there and then you've got people who go I've been on your website. We've got podcasts, so I've listened to your podcast. I listen to, the, and then if I if if I think they're just saying it, I'll go. Well, what episode did you listen to? And then they'll, you know, you'll find out then. And I will expect them to have done a reasonable level of research for their first interview. And I know that might sound harsh, but the reason why is high performers do that. The difference in answer between a high performer and somebody who's just okay with that question is phenomenal. Somebody who cares about their career will research a business. And that question is always really insightful. A question that you'll still witness me asking um, at later stages is what trait in people annoys you? Because it's actually quite revealing to understand like what kind of irritates people and then it's amazing how honest people are with that answer. And you can get get quite emotional. Like, and I hate it when people do this or that. And sometimes it's perfectly acceptable. And you're like, yeah, I completely agree. I hate bad manners too. And it, and it can be other people like, I don't know, I hate it people wear black t-shirts like, like we are now. <laughs> so it's like, um, you're like, oh, you're a little bit odd. <laughs> so you, you can... You can learn a lot from that question. There are others as well, and people will have their own preferences. But I find that the top grading questions and some of the other questions that we've mentioned reveal an awful lot. Yeah, they do. And whenever you get an answer, I think as well, it's your responsibility to to dig into a bit. So it's like, if you, oh, I, I I left because I didn't like the culture. Well, what didn't you like about the culture? What about that? Did, did didn't 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 you enjoy? It? Oh, well, you said that that happened. Well, tell me more about that. And so the the best thing that you can do is just kind of ask brief, just follow up questions that are just like, oh, tell me more. Oh, really? How did that come work out? And just doing things like that. You don't have to come. You don't have to have the killer question every time. But then you get through that and if the interviews go well and then our process you get then get into something that we call the skills test which is 
really important because then it's just kind of getting down to like can you actually do this like you're by that this point we've assessed each other it seems to be going well give kind of we think you're not a maniac and you, it seems like something that you've got you've, it seems like you've got the skills you've described having done the thing but can you actually do the thing and there are some roles where it's quite easy to do a skills test so like if it's a finance role there are standard financial skills tests that you can just access and that's fine other roles it's more difficult but i think we've always found a way for every role so like if it's a customer service role you could actually like give them a, a few like real customer support tickets or whatever and get them to answer them on the spot and it's always on the spot for that kind of thing because it's like not just can you go and do a really good job if you ask your mate and you've got a few days but it's like can you do it in half an hour if it's a marketing job it might be i don't know like this this event has happened in the business um write something about it for instagram and twitter and so you want to see they're using kind of like appropriate conventions for the platform or whatever and for, for for more senior roles it might be you might actually have a more prep for that one and let kind of, kind of present uh, some some kind of plan or presentation or something like that but again that is so revealing and so important because We've talked about how the CV is just doesn't tell you as much as you'd want it to. Even if you have a few conversations, it's still just a snapshot and it's still everyone on their best behavior. But then you need to get into, can you actually do it? And, and we there are so many hires, bad hires that we could have avoided if we'd started doing that a lot earlier. The, that, Rob, I completely agree. The, there are people who are just brilliant at interviews like professional interviewers if you like like they are they, they're all just so good and they know how to impress they've learned the process you know they're, they're clearly switched on in some respects and the risk of those people is that they're if they get in your business they can't do the role they're also very good at making people think they're very good at what they do as well and it's not necessarily that they're bad people or anything like that but it's just they are very good at presenting the best versions of themselves. They're their own little PR machine, if you like, and they're very good at doing that. It's because we've employed people like that and not done the skills test is why now we place such big value on the skills test. Because a skills test would have filtered out the majority of those people because they couldn't do the roles. They really couldn't. And it cost us big time. But if we'd had them demonstrate to us if they could do those roles properly, maybe 80% of them wouldn't have started. Maybe none of them. And you, you think, wow, if you think of the cost of all those individuals and you know who they are, how much they've hurt the business. And that's a real key point here. Bad hires can really cost you. An average hire is not great, but a bad hire is disastrous. So putting that extra step in, it is more work, but it's so worth it. Then... If the skills test goes well, then you're into a really important but often overlooked step, which is references. And references are tricky for a few reasons. So like the, your standard kind of corporate reference is just confirming someone worked somewhere, which is not very helpful. You need to, to get talking to someone who can actually give you real insight and is willing to give you real insight on a person. It's tricky because... I think it's a couple of reasons. The obvious one is that often it's a ref it's a reference that the person has given you, so it's going to be someone who f feels warmly about them. If they are, unless they really hate them, they're not going to want to say anything bad about them, and they're going to be a bit more polite naturally. And you have to try and dig beyond that. But the other reason that it's really hard is by this point you've invested a lot of time in this process. You could have spent. I don't know, like six hours or, or more with, with this person, you might be down to only one person who you think is in the running. And so you're going into it wanting the reference calls to go well. And I think that's the biggest danger of all. And we've done this. We've There have been warning signs in references that we've ignored because we really wanted it to work. And as hard as it is, you need to go into those reference calls looking for reasons why it won't work which is psychologically such a difficult thing to do because you you want this person in the business and you know if you have to start the process again it could take another three months or more until you've filled this really important hole in your business you're so right it's easy to say it 
it's so much harder to do it because of that bias that you've built up. You like this person. They're there for that reason. So to have the discipline to pull back on a hire because of a reference is really difficult. And you've touched about calling there. I think it's worth saying that written references are a bit better than nothing, but only a bit. It just proves that they work somewhere because no HR team is going to risk you know, pulling down somebody because it's just not worth their while. They're better just saying this person weren't here for those dates and that's fine. And what does that tell you? That they work there? It doesn't tell you what they did. So written references are no good, but then verbal references, you've got to check yourself because you've got to look for those warning signs. Most of it will be positive, but you've got to dig in when there's a hint of, you know, something not quite right. Like, oh yeah, they're they're a challenge to manage, but the results they deliver are worth it. Forget the results part, the challenge to manage part. Like, you don't want someone who's hard work. You've got to dig into that. And sometimes people will be very alert. Well, actually, not sometimes, often. Most of the time, people are very alert on on the referencing calls, the people you're speaking to, because they want to help this person out. So you've got to put them at ease really quickly. You've got to make it sound as casual as possible and come across in your tone that way as well. Make it very conversational and ask questions like, well, actually, I I tend to put a statement in the beginning and say, listen, we think so-and-so is great and we want them to be a success in their business. So to do that, we'd really like to understand their strengths and their weaknesses so we can set them up for success. And by starting a call like that, you're not you're not saying, look, we're trying to catch you out. We're, we're trying to, you know, trick you here into saying something. You can you can then go on to ask questions like, you know, what can we help them develop with? You know, where is a real development opportunity for this person? So it's framed in a very positive way. And sometimes it can be really useful information, but sometimes it can be, oh, wow, like we didn't spot that in the interview. It may validate what you've spotted as well and you're more than willing to accept, but it may also reveal something that has just been hidden from your view and then that becomes really interesting. Mm, definitely. Um, one that I like to ask is, once you've gone through all the conversation, well, you wouldn't want to start like this, but would you hire, would you hire this person again? Yeah. Because if, if there's any hesitation, <laughs> that's not a good sign. You want, and, and ideally the, the dream response is like is yes I'm so gutted yeah. they left I understand that but whatever that's what you really want you do you don't want a, a half-hearted yeah of course yeah I'd hire them you you want the oh I'm gutted you know you want them to be devastated that they've left yeah so if that goes well then great you're in a position where you're happy you need to make sure that they're happy as well. You want them to actually accept this role when offered. And something that we do for senior roles is not appropriate for all, but we do sort of like what we call the cards on the table chat because it's kind of, it's trying to, because you, what you don't want is there's no point selling the role really effectively and presenting some kind of idealized picture of what the business is like. Then they arrive and like a month later, they're gone. Because I was like, this is not what I expected. It's just, it's not fair on them, but it's also just no use for you at all. It'd be better to get there early. So we we try and do it throughout the conversations, actually. We don't kind of start from like, yeah, we're this dream business, everything's great, and then work back from there. We, we try and do it throughout. But I think it's really helpful getting to that that point of like, this is the reality. This is what you'll have to do. This is what's going to be hard about it. Um, just be really honest and give them the chance to do the same because you don't want any surprises. They need to be work, walking through the door on their first day knowing what it's all about. And I don't think we've ever had anyone drop out at that stage having heard the truth. But I think it's, I think it's really useful to do it. Ah, it's massively useful. I think also it'll be quite different for the person involved because I don't think many people, many businesses will do that. So I've always enjoyed those conversations and I feel it sets the work relationship moving forward up quite nicely as well because you can make your process as friendly and as warm as possible, but ultimately it is an interview process. Whereas this conversation is a lot softer it's more conversational it's kind of we like each other let's just talk and it means that you've had that kind of non-formal interaction before they start as well you're kind of revealing more of yourself both sides 
to each other about you know what what it's like how we're going to talk to each other I think it offers so much as well as just you know being really honest about where the business is at and also being really honest with them going you know clearly we really like you and that's why we're making a job offer we do have some concerns but we think we can work with those and here they are what do you think and just let them to answer and go yeah yeah that's fair or Oh no, I think you've read that wrong. It didn't actually mean that what went in that part of the conversation, which we've had before as well. We've we've put something to someone and said, Oh, well, we've got this bit of a concern, and they've gone, oh, I think you've misinterpreted what I meant by that. And and that's been useful as well. So it may seem like a bit of a you know, nice add-on, but actually, and particularly for senior roles, we found it really useful. So we've been through a lot here and there is a lot to hiring it is a process and it is a skill as well hiring is a competency that you need to develop and it's a load of work but we talked back at the start about how important it is it is worth it there's not not just the pain of getting it wrong although that is real but it's also the potential upside of getting it right so although it feels like doing all this is just a lot of effort while you're trying to run a business at the same time and while you're running a business that is almost by definition understaffed which is why you're hiring in the first place it is really difficult but the payoff is there this process that we've been through is one that we've developed over time I'm sure it will get better as we go along as well but while it's not perfect hopefully this will help some people shortcut some of the the learnings that we've been through and get to a decent interview process pretty early on yeah absolutely agree rob hiring as a skill is one of the most important things that you can get right as a business owner now something else you need to get right is your tech you need to have great tech in a business because you can't operate on pen and paper anymore and we are next week going to reveal all the technology that we use So from our emails to our communication systems, we're going to run through the lot. We're going to share all the tech. So you don't have to go looking around and deciding what to use. We're going to give you the pros and cons of what we use and maybe talk about some of the stuff we've used previously and maybe some of the stuff we'll move on to in the future. So that should be a really good behind the scenes episode of how our business functions from a tech side. Yep. So that's what we've got coming up next time. Thank you for joining us today and we will see you next time for any other business. Well, that is it. Another episode of Any Other Business done. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support so early in this podcast. Yes, if you're listening to these, you are the early adopters. You are the hardcore if you're going back and listening to the archives. So thank you so much for your support. And if you really would like to support us, then we'd love an iTunes review or a review anywhere you think is relevant. It really does help the show out and it helps us reach as many people as possible. And of course, if you want to go further, you can share it on your socials too. But any sort of support is very welcome. We'll be back with another exciting episode next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.